Hi, this is the NPR Politics Podcast, and today we've got to talk about Paris. Last Friday night, 129 people were killed, hundreds more wounded in the City of Light. The group calling itself the Islamic State has taken responsibility, and they've warned of future attacks. We're here today to talk about a few things. Just what are American politicians doing about the threat from ISIS? How do these developments affect the presidential campaign? And how should we expect Paris to affect us? First, some introductions. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter here at NPR. I'm Scott Horsley, White House correspondent. And I'm Mara Eliason, national political correspondent. Okay, so the news broke last Friday. It was all that I was seeing at work, at home, on my phone. And then I wake up Saturday morning, and I'm watching the news, going through headlines. And I just have this moment of pure fear. And I do this thing that I never, ever do. I get up from my sofa, I go to my front door, and I make sure the front door is locked. And it was this moment that I really hadn't seen in myself since the Twin Towers fell. And so there in that moment, I asked myself, exactly what is the administration doing right now to keep us safe, to fight ISIS? Scott, can you walk us through that? The U.S. strategy has been evolving over time, but it is essentially to have a light military footprint heavily reliant on air power from the United States and our coalition partners, and then at the same time pursuing a diplomatic resolution to the Syrian civil war, which has spawned so much of this problem there. This was not a strategy that a lot of people felt great about even before the Paris attacks. Uh, Syria has been an Achilles heel for the president. His approval ratings on this area in particular have been low even before this happened in Paris. Now, in the wake of the Paris attack, the president was really on the defensive. He was grilled about this strategy, why it wasn't yielding more dividends more quickly. He said, look, it's going to take time. But he didn't call for any major change in direction. He said, we're going to intensify what we're doing, but we're going to basically keep following the same strategy. And so, Mara, to follow up on that, it seems a lot of the folks that are running for president, they have some critiques of Obama. So what are the candidates saying about how they would handle ISIS? Well, Republican candidates are very critical of the president. They all say that they'd be stronger and tougher and more effective uh, than he's been. Donald Trump said he'd bomb the expletive deleted out of ISIS. Jeb Bush said we should declare war against ISIS. Marco Rubio called this a clash of civilizations. Uh, John Kasich has said he's open to ground troops, as are Bush and Rubio. Ted Cruz said he's open to boots on the ground, but not American boots. Lindsey Graham, alone among the Republican candidates, has put a number on the ground troops he'd like to see there. It's a big number, 100,000, but only 10,000 of that would be from the U.S. The rest would come from other countries. And that sounds pretty unlikely since other countries haven't been willing to commit ground troops to fight ISIS. Um, The Republicans are also in favor of a no-fly zone. But what's interesting is no one is calling for a huge U.S. infantry presence to fight ISIS. Hmm. In defending his strategy, the president basically challenged uh, his critics to say, look, if you've got some better ideas, put them on the table. Don't just pop off and talk tough. Folks want to pop off and have opinions about uh, what they think they would do. Present a specific plan. Well, some critics have put real ideas on the table. And when Obama says we're already doing most of those things, some of them he he has been doing. But you have to say this administration has been dragged kicking and screaming into the conflict in Syria and into the conflict with ISIS. So the critics are correct when they say there is a wide range of things you could do in between what the White House is doing now 
and a full-scale Iraq-style invasion. So this must be tough for the president. He came to office in 08 and beat Hillary Clinton by opposing the war in Iraq. I think it's a huge irony. President Obama wanted his legacy to be ending the two wars, Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, And he hasn't been able to do it. And Scott said earlier he was kind of dragged kicking and screaming into these new conflicts. Um, His heart really isn't in it. Yes, he theoretically has said he's willing to commit U.S. force against evil and various uh, and he's not against all wars. But this has been a really difficult thing for him. He has tried to extract Americans from Afghanistan and Iraq. And he keeps on getting pulled back in. I mean, this was a president whose opposition to the Iraq war certainly helped him in the 2007-2008 Democratic primary. But this is also a president who used his address on winning the Nobel Peace Prize to make a case for war occasionally being a, a useful tool. Um, he's he's not someone who is utterly opposed to the use of military force in every context. He said he'll use it to defend American interest. But he does like to do so in the context of an international coalition most of the time. And coming up with an international coalition in this instance has been a real challenge for him. What does the public want to hear about ISIS? It seems as if polling data suggests that the president does not get really good marks on his handling of ISIS and foreign policy right now. No, he gets pretty bad marks. Ever since ISIS came on the scene and started cutting people's heads off, The public has said to pollsters they are more willing to commit U.S. blood and treasure in the fight to defeat them. More Republicans than Democrats say they're willing to commit U.S. troops to this. But what we haven't seen in polling is, well, how many troops would they be willing to commit? Would they be willing to uh, accept the sacrifices that are involved? What about casualties? And I think the public is a little more willing to be more aggressive, but I don't think we're at the point where, yes, let's go back to the 100,000 troops in a prolonged ground war in the Middle East. And, and the president talked about, look, I'm the guy that has to go to Walter Reed and visit these guys who've lost limbs and been paralyzed because I've sent them into battle. He's very conscious of that. I think the willingness to commit U.S. forces to this is maybe at a high point right now, and it might be at a very different place after a long, grinding war, which we've just endured a couple of those. So, uh, Mara, we should also talk about the candidates who aren't in the GOP and what their stances on ISIS are. Well, you know, that was interesting because of the Democratic debate in Des Moines was on Saturday night right after these attacks, and everybody was waiting to see what Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders would say. They are in agreement, the three Democratic candidates, O'Malley, Sanders, and Clinton, that this isn't the United States' fight alone. It has to be in a global coalition. And Hillary Clinton, who, of course, was Barack Obama's secretary of state, she has a difficult position. She wants to align herself with him, but also show that she's a little bit more of a hawk because she was when she was in the administration. She made a point of saying on Saturday, ISIS cannot be contained. We have to look at ISIS as the leading threat of an international terror network. It cannot be contained. It must be defeated. President Obama gave an unfortunately timed interview that actually aired on Friday where he told George Stephanopoulos of ABC that ISIS was being contained. What he meant was geographically in the Middle East, we're chipping away at its territory. But it looked like he was saying something akin to they're the JV team, we've got them on the run, when reality looked very different. I think Hillary Clinton, who has positioned herself as I am the most plausible commander in chief, is saying, well, okay, what would you do about it now? And on that Bernie Sanders doesn't have a whole lot of answers. And it seemed that Bernie Sanders didn't really want to talk about foreign policy and ISIS. He was asked that question, and he mentioned this for like two sentences and then pivoted to inequality and climate change. How did that play out? 
I think it sent a message to a lot of Democrats. He's not comfortable with foreign policy. There were uh, a lot of reports that his team uh, pushed back against CBS's yeah. plan to include more foreign policy in the debate. Well, it was the day after the attacks. How could you do anything but? But he clearly wasn't comfortable to say that climate change is one of the root causes of terrorism in the Middle East is intellectually defensible, but not exactly what you want to hear from someone the day who after the you're attacks. running for the person who's going to protect the country. Yeah. And as far as Martin O'Malley, uh, how did he handle this? You know, Martin O'Malley was strong and said we should work in a global coalition. I don't think he made any mistakes, but he is the former governor of Maryland and has no foreign policy experience. I also want to talk about Syrian refugees possibly coming to the U.S. and how these attacks have complicated that issue. The president has called for bringing 10,000 Syrians to America. Ted Cruz says we should only take in Christian Syrians. Jeb Bush says Christians should be the focus. Who gets the final say, and where is this argument playing out right now? This is an area where the president was very critical of those who are saying, let's slam the door against Syrian refugees. Although it must be said, the United States has taken, really, 2,000 is very few. Let's remember there are 4 million folks who have fled Syria and the violence and the conflict there. But the president said, look, it would be un-American to slam the door, to close our hearts to these refugees. And he was particularly pointed in his criticism, I think, of Ted Cruz, although he didn't name the Texas senator, but a Cuban-American. He said, for someone whose family has benefited from U.S. hospitality for people fleeing persecution to take this attitude. He was just very critical of that. And you have to recall, there were some bad actors in the Marielle uh, exodus from Cuba. Now, that's not Cruz's family, but there were some bad actors in that group. And the United States did not just close the door on Cuban refugees. But but what is so interesting to me is that After the attacks, look where we are. The discussion among Republicans went right back to the issue that has been consuming (laughs) the primary campaign, immigration. You have two dozen governors, 25 Republican governors, and one Democratic governor, Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, who said she wants to halt settlement of Syrian refugees until she's sure that the vetting is very, very good, as strong as possible. And Jeb Bush trying to move to the right in the Republican Party. He wasn't as strident. And not as strident, but said that Christians should be the focus of refugee relocation. And then other candidates have spoken about that now as well. I think Carson had some comments on it. I think other candidates have, well, Carson doesn't want to let in any Syrian refugees at all. And Marco Rubio has said, look, It's not that we don't want to let them in. We can't let them in because there's no way for us to find the one terrorist in a thousand, you know. Well, because Rubio said, how do you background check? Right, how can you background check? There's no one to call in Syria to find out about them. And let's face it. I mean, from a political point of view, this is a very real concern. There are a lot of Americans who are locking their doors like you, Sam. They may say, look, I would love to help. But that appeal to safety and security concerns is a very powerful political appeal. And usually helps Republicans. But how long does that sentiment and these thoughts about security, does that emotion ride until the election? Depends if there are more attacks. Yeah. And yeah. where are the, and where the attacks are if there are more. Yeah. This will move the needle. Does it move it past the midpoint? I don't know. But again, on the security privacy debate, for example, the privacy forces, the, the folks who were appalled at the, what was revealed by Edward Snowden have sort of dominated the conversation for the last few years. This will empower the the security folks, the folks who say, hey, spy on anybody you want if it keeps us safe. And the CIA director was pretty tough about that yesterday. I would say the era of Snowden is over. Huh. You know, there's also been conflict about the words we use and even describing this conflict. 
is it radical Islamic terrorism? Is it some other things? Who can catch me up on the words we use and which are right or wrong? Well, this is a debate that goes back a long way. The critics of the president will say, look, if you're not willing to call Islamic terrorism, Islamic terrorism, how can you fight it? You, you have to and name Islamic the, being the word. The, yeah, the that, that's, word. well, that's the, that's the charged word. That's the word that the administration tries to shy away from. Both President Obama and Hillary Clinton have pointed to the example of George W. Bush, who said in the immediate wake of the 9-11 attacks, we are not at war with Islam. And the White House says, if we're not at war with Islam, let's not cloud the picture by calling this Islamic terrorism. The critics say, if you're not willing to say the terrorists draw their inspiration from religion, albeit a twisted form of Islam, then you're going to be handicapped in combating this enemy. One option for the Democrats is just to use the language that the French president uses, which I think he says we are at war with radical jihadis. He doesn't use the word Islam. Yeah. You know, we were talking yesterday, Scott. We have to accept that attacks like these will happen and that we can't prevent them all and that we're never going to be 100 percent safe and no politician can guarantee us that. Who of all of these folks out there is saying that to us? We're not really hearing that voice right now. We did get a dose of reality from President Obama who says, look, if you have a small number of people who are willing to die for their bankrupt ideology, they can do a lot of damage, and it's very hard to stop that. The answer to that really, I think, is for someone to, to say, look, terrorists cannot force us to give up our open way of life in this country but we can do that to ourselves. And, you know, Dennis Ross, who was a longtime diplomat, served a lot of administrations, says kind of there's two schools of thought here. There are presidents who worry about the costs of action. That's President Obama. Then there are leaders who tend to worry more about the costs of inaction, and that's how he describes Hillary Clinton. She's a more kind of forward-leaning, a little bit more aggressive, worried more about the costs of inaction. Which are voters looking for right now? Voters just want to feel safe. I don't think that they've thought this through. They just want to know that if they go to a rock concert or a soccer match or any other soft target, Pennsylvania Station, my husband drove to New York today for this reason, part of his thing. Drove as opposed to taking the train. <laughs> yeah. You know, for people who are thinking about soft targets and trying to avoid them, they just want to feel safe. It may not be rational, but people will make those kinds of decisions. Oh, yeah. Well, like, I, I run, like, on the mall most mornings before work. And yesterday and this morning when I was running past the monuments, I said, well, what do I do if things go down? How can I record? Where should I run? Where should I be? Like, it's just like this present thing right now. That's the background noise to the 2016 election. It's not a pleasant noise. No, it's a terrible, buzzy, horrible hum. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more about all of this, Paris and politics and more, this Friday in our weekly roundup. I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Scott Horsley. And I'm Mara Liason. And this is the NPR Politics Podcast. <laughs>